Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, perhaps you've heard that song that often comes on this time of year as we enter into the Advent and Christmas season, that it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the hap-happiest time of the year. It's the most wonderful season of all, the hap-happiest season of all. Are you familiar with that song? Well, of course, there's uh, much joy at Christmas time and much in which we rejoice. Of course, we always rejoice in the Lord and our salvation in Christ. But I think it's important that we also, as we enter into the Advent season, that we also acknowledge that it's not pure joy alone. It's, for many, it's joy in the midst of much sorrow and and grief as well. For some, it's a time of loneliness. Uh, Think about if you lost a, a loved one or a spouse or a child or a parent or a sibling or a close aunt or uncle or another loved one, especially one of whom you have fond memories of spending Christmas with. Or perhaps maybe they even died at Christmas time. Or think about if you are without a job and how sad that might be this time of year when so many are buying each other presents and and you can't afford it. I think about if you have no family to celebrate with. There's many who don't have anyone close to them nearby to get together for a, a Christmas meal. Or think about if you've been estranged from your family and the pain of that and or think about if you're in the hospital at Christmas time or you're a shut-in and you can't go anywhere. Or children, think about those without parents, orphans in this world who, who may not get any presents this time of year or have any Christmas food, Christmas dessert because they are without parents and they're perhaps impoverished, don't have a lot of money. And so... And there's so much more that we could, we could go through, right, of all the brokenness that exists in this world. And I think it's important to recognize that this time of year isn't always just only joy for everyone. Uh, depression and suicide can go up this time of year because of these things. And so, well, many love the Advent and Christmas season and find great joy this time of year, and, and, and rightly so as we celebrate the incarnation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but we also should recognize it's a real struggle to get through for some. Many can feel brokenhearted this time of year. And if that is you, I want to encourage you to pour out your heart to God in prayer. And you can be encouraged to do that as you read through the Psalms. The Psalms is a wonderful book of the Bible that contains prayers. And while we rightly call it the book of praise because it overall its tone is that of praise and the overall movement is from lament to praise with the crescendo of praise at the end of the the Psalter. Uh, Did you know that the most common genre of psalm in the Psalter is lament psalms where the psalmist pours out his heart to God in, in grief and sorrow of some kind for some reason for something that is getting him down. And in a very honest and real way, he pours out 
his heart to God. And, and that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I would encourage you to pour out your heart to God this time of year with the Lament Psalms. And he promises, know, know that he promises to hear your prayers and, and walk with you through pain and suffering and to preserve you in Christ. As the prophet Isaiah says earlier in his prophecy in Isaiah 43, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. So be assured, even as you lament, that God is with you. And also, I want to especially encourage you this morning that be assured that uh, he promises to bind up your broken heart in Christ by the Holy Spirit through His Word. Uh, as we sang earlier in Psalm 147, verse 2, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And this is one reason that Christ came this is one reason that Christ came. There's many, many reasons we could go through for why did the Son of God come into this world? The Creator of this world entered into it, added a real human nature. Why? And one of those reasons is He came to bind up broken hearts. And I want us to see that this morning. And first we'll consider the causes of a broken heart. And then secondly, the cure for a broken heart. So the causes of a broken heart, and then secondly, the cure for a broken heart. First, the causes of a broken heart. Now, there's uh, many possible causes. Uh, first, our own sin. Our own sin causes brokenness inside of us. Do you ever feel broken because of your sin? Do you ever feel the burden of guilt because of your sin? Do you ever feel shame because of your sin? Do you ever feel a sense of being forsaken by God because of your sin? Or you, you, you're broken over a besetting sin that you still struggle with after many years in the Christian life? So sin can be the cause of a broken heart. Uh, also, not only our own sin, but also the sin of others can be the cause of a broken heart. Sometimes the words of others can pierce our hearts and they feel broken from those words. You just can't get over them. They continue to, uh, to eat at your heart. Proverbs 15 says that a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. There's that old saying, right? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. No, or words will never hurt me. But we know that that's not true, right? Who came up with that anyway? I mean, that's just hogwash, right? I mean, we all know the pain, and that can be even more painful than physical pain to have a, some harsh words that go deep. Or sometimes it's the sin of others who have abused you uh, emotionally or physically or sexually, leading to a sense of shame and disgrace and a broken heart. Or it's the sin of a spouse cheating on you and breaking your heart. There's a psalm, I think it's Psalm 55, that talks about that, how, you know, he, he's been betrayed by someone close to him. And he says, you know, if it was somebody, it was my enemy or just like an acquaintance, I could, I could cope with that. But it was my close friend, my close companion. 
And so maybe you deal with the pain of a broken heart from infidelity in your marriage. Or perhaps it's the sin of others stealing something from you or lying to you or betraying you. And we could list many other ways that others sin against us. The sin of others is another one of many causes of a broken heart. But another cause of a broken heart besides our own sin and the sin of others is just the general sufferings of this life. Loneliness, where you feel like maybe you have no real friends or you have no family. Or a loss of a loved one. Or loss of a friendship or loss of a romantic relationship or loss of a job or loss of health, loss of wealth, loss of hope. Or perhaps you're broken just over, the, over just concern for the poor and needy all around you, maybe in this church or uh, where you work or just in society as you walk along the streets here in Winnipeg. You know, you can get compassion fatigue at times, counseling others and helping others. Perhaps it could be from, a me, from mental illness, depression or anxiety or bipolar disorder or schizophrenia that can cause your broken heart. It could be also being a caregiver, caring for others with disabilities, and, and that can be a struggle, that can be a burden, and, and, or it could just be burnout, exhaustion, stress from work, taking care of little ones. I have five children. That's, a, I think, a medium-sized family in this church. At my church, we're the biggest family, uh, but uh, it can be tiring, right, taking care of little ones and exhausting and and uh, the constant neediness there, and, and then you burn out and suffer from, a, from brokenness in some, some way. Of course, uh, could be broken inside from the, the pandemic and the government restrictions or just the anxiety that comes with all the, the fighting on social media amongst Canadians and even amongst Christians. Could even be the weather, sad. Seasonal affective disorder. I grew up in Southern California, so I know a little bit about what it means to be sad when it's a super long winter. Uh, never had the snow come to me where I grew up. I, if I wanted to go to the snow, I'd go to the snow. <laughs> uh, but uh, I happen to really enjoy the snow in terms of just playing in the snow with my children. But I also get a little bit sad this time of year when it, when it just goes on and on and on and on. Although one consolation I have is I hear that uh, it gets, it's colder here, so... Uh, there's at least one place colder than Regina, Saskatchewan. Uh, but uh, certainly we know that that can really affect us as well. But we could be here all day listening, listing, uh, listing uh, all the causes of a broken heart. We live in a broken world and our hearts are frail and easily broken because of our own sin and the sin of others and the general sufferings of this life. Uh, we feel the words of the preacher, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It is, it is like a chasing after the wind. It is frustrating. There's a bentness to this world. And again, I love the Psalms, and I encourage you to take up the lament Psalms. Listen to this lament Psalm, for example, from Psalm 102, which says at the beginning, a prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. And listen to these words. 
The psalmist says to God in prayer, For my days pass away like smoke, and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Have you ever felt like that? Maybe some of those metaphors resonate with you, mingling tears with your drink. Uh, or you forget to eat your bread. There's just loss of appetite. How can you eat when you're just so down and out? Have you ever prayed like that? Have you ever poured out your heart to God like that? It's how the psalmist feels. His heart was faint, and what does he do? He cries out to God and prayer. He pours it out. And you don't need to think that that is a lack of faith or that God can't handle What's on your heart? You know he's omniscient, right? (laughs) You can't hide it from him. He already knows what you're going through. And he welcomes your tears and prayers. And it's not a fruitless exercise. Those cries don't bounce off the ceiling. In fact, God says in his word in Psalm 34, which we'll sing in a little bit, I am near to the brokenhearted, and I save the crushed. In spirit, what a wonderful promise. God hears your prayers. He takes pity on you. He, you aren't wasting His time. He has compassion on you like a father who has compassion on their little ones, on his, on his children when they suffer. And He is moved to action. And God has been so compassionate towards you and me that He has sent His only begotten Son into this world to bind up your broken heart. To save you ultimately from the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of your heart. What is the ultimate cure for a broken heart? It's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Because He came to bind up broken hearts. And so let's consider then, secondly, the ultimate cure for a broken heart, Christ. Now, I say ultimate cure because surely there are other things that can help cure your broken hearts, whatever that may be. Circumstances can change, of course. Our bodies can change. Our overall mental health and physical uh, well-being can change. Uh, Our outlook on life can change. Going uh, deeper into God's Word can uh, transform us in how we uh, respond to suffering in a good way. Uh, Helping a broken heart is never just a one-size-fits-all answer. But one thing is for sure, the ultimate answer for a broken heart is Christ. Where do we turn ultimately when we have a broken heart? We must ultimately turn to God in Christ and by the Holy Spirit. 
As Psalm 34 says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And God supremely reveals that He is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God the Son, Jesus Christ is God the Son, our Creator and Sustainer, the second person of the Trinity. And He entered this broken world. What an amazing thought. That is so profound. What a, what a glorious mystery the incarnation is that we adore this time of year. That the author of life, the author of history, wrote himself into the story of redemptive history. It's as if he punched a hole in the universe that he made and entered it. And he came. And he was a man of sorrows, it says in Isaiah 53, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we see that in his life and ministry, right? I think of the, him at Lazarus, his tomb, and how he wept. And that sounds kind of like a little crying, but actually when you really study the passage in the original language, you see that he he cried. He, he was moved deeply in his inner being with sorrow and grief and righteous anger at death. The enemy, his, one of his best friends is dead. And he's so upset about it. And yet he, he also is going to raise him. But even just as he stares the enemy of death in the face and, and, and misses his his dear friend, even though he's going to be reunited with him soon, he, he weeps and he grieves deeply within his soul. And if we have a much greater distance between our time now and the re reunification with our loved ones in the new heavens and new earth who have died in the Lord, if he could grieve with such a shorter gap, surely we can grieve and weep and pour out our heart to God and he welcomes those tears of grief. And it says in Hebrews 5 that in the days of His flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death, and He was heard because of His reverence. It wasn't a lack of trust in God's will when He cried out with loud cries and tears to God in prayer. It was reverence. Hebrews says. He knew the pain not only of losing a loved one, but also he knew the pain of being betrayed by a close friend. Judas betrayed him and Peter denied him three times. He knew the pain of persecution. He knew physical abuse. He knew the humiliation and shame of being insulted and bullied and hung on a cross, naked and exposed to the public. He knew the pain of his family not believing him. He knew rejection from his creatures whom he made. He knew rejection from his own countrymen whom he redeemed out of Egypt. He knew the suffering of hunger and thirst. He knew the suffering of a body wasting away as he was flogged and beaten and wore a crown of thorns and then was nailed to a cross. 
He knows what it is like to die, the Lord of life. And on the cross, He was forsaken by God so that you and I would never be forsaken by God. When He cried out, my God, my God, oh, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken. He cried out, my God, my God, so that we can cry out, Abba, Father. And know that our Father will never leave us nor forsake us. And so Christ knows whatever pain and suffering you have gone through. When we go through pain and suffering, don't we sometimes feel like nobody knows what we're going through? Well, let me assure you that He knows. He sees. And He remembers His promises to you to bind up your broken heart, and He will do that. He will bind up your wounds by His Word and Spirit, and He is able to, being Almighty God, and He is eager and willing to, as one who knows your suffering and has great compassion on you. Once again, Isaiah 61 speaks of this and anticipates the coming of our Lord when Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. Isn't that a marvelous prophecy? It acknowledges the pain and suffering that we go through in life, and yet it gives us great hope of a great reversal and a great restoration that is to come. And originally that was given to Israel in exile, promising their restoration. But that was just a temporary restoration that ultimately fell short of a much greater restoration and redemption that we all long for. To be delivered ultimately from all that causes brokenness in this world and in our hearts. Sin. To be delivered from it once and for all. And, and this prophecy, the good news is that it ultimately is fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You may remember that in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus quotes this prophecy, Isaiah 61. And you may also remember that right before he quotes it, he's baptized. He's baptized. And the voice comes from heaven. You are my son, my chosen one, in whom I am well pleased. And that's an echo of Isaiah's prophecy as well. The servant songs, this coming servant of the Lord who would come and ultimately work righteousness and and redeem God's people who would ultimately be a suffering servant of the Lord according to Isaiah 53. And then we see that the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove He is anointed to be our prophet, priest, and king, the long-awaited Messiah of the Old Testament. He was anointed with the Spirit of the Lord who rested upon Him. And then He opens up, right after that, He's driven into the wilderness where He 
conquers the temptations of the devil on our behalf as our second Adam and his true Israel. And then he goes into the synagogue and he opens up the scroll of Isaiah and he reads Isaiah 61, which we heard earlier. And then it says in Luke 4, verse 20, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What a remarkable moment in redemptive history. Can you imagine being in that synagogue? And, and Jesus reads the scroll and he says, Guess what? This has been fulfilled right now in your hearing. I am the servant of the Lord. I am the one of whom this prophecy is speaking, who proclaims good news to the poor, who comes and binds up broken hearts. And it's clear in the, the Bible that, that Christ came to bind up broken hearts. But how does Christ bind up our broken hearts? Well, in the first place, in saving us from our sins that are the ultimate cause of all of our brokenness in this world. And so he, he saves us from the guilt of our sins, as we heard earlier in the assurance of pardon. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, he's faithful and just to forgive us. He upholds his justice in forgiving us. Justice smiles and asks no more because Jesus is our righteous advocate, the spotless lamb who was slain for us on the cross. He fully satisfied God's just wrath and turned it away from us. That's what propitiation means. So that if you confess your sins and trust in him, he's faithful and just to forgive you. He would be unjust to punish Christ and then punish you. Because his justice is satisfied in Christ. And so you can rest in the fact that you are forgiven of all your sins in Christ once and for all. In your justification, you are forever declared righteous. Clothed in his righteousness forever. And nothing will change that, ever. And even more than that, he not only saves us from the, the guilt and punishment of our sin, but also He saves us from the power of our sin, the Bible says. In, in Romans 7, and, or 6 and 7, it says that uh, you are no longer under the dominion of sin because you have the Spirit in your heart dwelling within you. God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity dwells within you and you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. There will be a struggle throughout the Christian life, a battle against sin, but the Holy Spirit, God Almighty, the third person of the Trinity, ultimately rules your life now. And He has promised to more and more conform you into the image of Christ throughout the Christian life and to mend your broken heart. And so as we, as we feel the brokenness because of our own sins, we can be sure that as, as David went on to pray in Psalm 51, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So be assured that, that Christ is your Savior from all your sins. Remember why He was given the name Jesus, children, at His birth? The angel said to Joseph in Matthew 1, you shall call Him Jesus. Why? Because He shall save His people from their sins. 
And not only does he save us from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, but also one day he's going to come again and save us from the presence of sin altogether. And what a glorious thought that is, that one day you and I will never again sin, ever again. What a glorious thought. And, and there will be no more sin in the world. And that will happen when he returns. Uh, but he also binds up our broken heart, not only from uh, saving us from our sins that cause our brokenheartedness, but also in saving us from our sufferings as well that cause our brokenheartedness. He doesn't necessarily save us from suffering in this life at all times, but He will save us through whatever suffering we face. Uh, Sometimes He'll remove the suffering, but other times He'll walk with us through pain and suffering and use it for our ultimate good, and He's always with us. He's near to the brokenhearted. And he'll use that suffering as he walks through it with us uh, to conform us more into his image, to make us more like him, to expose the idols of our hearts so that we might turn from them more and more and find our ultimate superior joy and satisfaction in Christ. And he'll use it to refine us like gold in the fire. And he'll use it to make us more like Christ so that we can also counsel others when they go through pain and suffering, right? Because we, we know, don't we, that it's, it's, it's much easier to receive counseling from others who've been through what we've been through. So think about that, too, as you go through suffering, that, that God will use that in your life uh, to help others. And He calls us, he, he draws us closer to Himself in prayer and His Word as we go through suffering. And so God promises to be with. Sometimes He'll remove the suffering in your life, in this life, but other times He'll call you to walk through it. But He'll be with you. He'll be with you and He'll use it for your ultimate good. He'll use it for your ultimate good. None of your sufferings will ever be wasted in God's providence. Romans 8 says that He works together all things for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And And the sufferings we face in this life will be nothing compared to the glory that awaits us that will far surpass them all. But the Christian life, we will go through sufferings in this life. One person who went through, who has been through much suffering is Joni Erickson Tata. Maybe you're familiar with with her. She broke her neck in a diving accident and became a quadriplegic. But she's been used greatly by God to counsel those who are suffering with disabilities and to share the the hope that we have in Christ with others. And uh, she was reflecting on John 15 and some words that, uh, that John Bunyan said about that. John Bunyan said on John 15, that's where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And this idea of grafting a branch into a tree Uh, John Bunyan said, conversion is not the smooth, easygoing process some men seem to think. It is wounding work. Of course, this breaking of the hearts, but without wounding, there is no saving. Where there is grafting, there is cutting. The scion must be let in with a wound to stick it onto the outside or tie it on with a string would be of no use. And so, too, in order for us to be grafted into Christ, the true vine, there's going to be some, some cutting, some wounding, but it's for our ultimate good that we might receive that 
wonderful life of Christ and the fruit of the Spirit in our life. Uh, and so again, Joni Erickson Tata, as I was starting to say, comments on this. And she says, never would I have dreamed wandering through the orchard as a child that my conversion process would be as hard as it has been. I was to learn through my broken neck that there was no saving grace, no saving work apart from a wounding. Yes, wounding of Christ on His cross, but also a wounding when you and I suffer and as a result are set, let in, cut into the body of Christ through affliction and hardship. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, it says in the Bible. My Christian life became a wounding work and remains so during this current crisis of chronic pain. My heart has been set to God's like a grafting cut into the living heart of an apple tree. Whether I like it or not, it has been heart to heart and back to back with so much doubt and fear, heartache and tears. It has definitely not been a smooth, easygoing process, and to this day, it isn't. You see, it's okay to be honest like Joni Erickson Tata and to bring those honest laments to God in prayer. But we must also trust that God has a good design behind all our brokenness. And she goes on to say that Jesus speaks about grafting in John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. She says, friend, you may be going through a time of wounding right now. And if you are, take heart because your heart is being set to God's. And there is no saving work apart from pain. Your life will produce so much more fruit from it all, fruit that you probably won't even see or know about. For those whom God loves, He grafts. Just remember what I have learned these many years. Apart from Him, you can do nothing. But in Him, with His life sap flowing through your branch and leaves, you have strength for everything. He said so. And somehow, the result of all that cutting and wounding, grafting and Healing will be fruit beyond what you have ever produced. He'll use it. I love how she says there, he said so. Uh, as we were singing earlier, comfort, comfort me, my people. Uh, comfort ye, my people. Uh, we said there, at the, saying there at the end that his word is never broken. And I, I love that. And I, it made me think of how I'm about to preach on our brokenheartedness. And we may have brokenheartedness in this life, but his word is is never broken, and we take comfort in that. And we take comfort that He will sanctify to us even our deepest distress and use it ultimately for His glory and our ultimate good. And so let me just encourage you as we enter into this uh, Advent season, this uh, Christmas season, that there's, yes, we rejoice greatly in the Lord, but also let us acknowledge that we, there's much brokenness in this world. We live in that tension between the first coming and the second coming of Christ, His first advent and His second advent. And while you may be suffering with brokenness or you know others, uh, let us continue to walk by faith. Let us continue to trust. Let us trust that He is a compassionate, merciful God, a tender-hearted, loving Father, and He hears our prayers as we pour out our laments to Him. And He welcomes that. And let us also remember that He's done something about it for us. He's done something about it for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus came into this world and he suffered for us. He obeyed God's law perfectly. He died on the cross for all of our sins and satisfied God's wrath. And then he rose victorious from the dead. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered the devil for us who trust in him. And 
He's coming again. Right now, He's our sympathetic high priest at the Father's right hand. And He rules over all things for the sake of His church. And He's coming again. And He keeps track of all your tears and all your tossings, Psalm 56 says. He puts them in His bottle, as it were. And He's coming again. And He's going to wipe away all tears from your eyes. And He's going to give you a new body. A new body that will no longer be subject to disease or death or brokenheartedness. There will be no more sin, no more suffering, no more pain in this world. And so let us remember this, this time of year. Let us weep with those who weep, but let us also receive Christ as the only cure of our broken heart. And let us rejoice in the Lord always, even in the midst of our sorrows, and share this hope with others. And let us look forward to the second advent of Christ when He will come again and He will turn all our mourning into dancing. Whereas Isaiah says, he's going to bind up our broken heart for good. He's going to give us a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Indeed, you and I will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Amen and amen. Well, let's uh, respond to God's word now with uh, hymn number 16 wonderful Advent uh, hymn. Let's stand and sing hymn number 16, all five stanzas. <laughs>